Um, do we have, we had one comment about last week, I think David Cundiff, so shout out to David Cundiff about Revelation being a book of love. I think I was just, uh, in essence, I, I don't recollect actually bringing that up. I would not say that Revelation is a book of love other than the fact that God loves us and, uh, and he has given that to the church because he loves us. That may have been the comment that I made. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing. That book, I was talking last week about how uh, some think that Daniel is that angel that John is speaking to because an angel, in essence, the word is a messenger. Of course, there's the angelic hosts that are, you fall down in awe of uh, that, like Daniel did in, uh, in Daniel, when Daniel uh, was confronted with uh, the angel in the Old Testament. But then there's, there's also the word angel that could be uh, interpreted a, uh, as, a, as a messenger. And we know that Jesus said that, in a, that, uh, da, that uh, once we're in the kingdom of God, those that inherit the kingdom of God are like angels, as he was answering the uh, Sadducees in the Gospels. And so there's some evidence, there's some thoughts that perhaps Daniel is, uh, is speaking there because he had a book that was sealed in Daniel and then it was given to, it's given to John. Now that book that, 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 that what we have now un, has unfolded in Daniel's 70th week and throughout the prophecies of Daniel that we now have the conclusion to, the bookend in the book of Revelation, has been trusted to the churches. And I think, and if I'm, my, my recollection is correct, that is probably what I was referencing, and uh, I don't have the tape in front of me, but uh, certainly it is true that God loves the church, and he has given us the end of the story, uh, and that's amazing that we have that. And what's also amazing, we've had the end of the story since the first century, since 96 AD, and so we know how this ends, but yet for the last 2,000 years, there's a lot of ignorance and blindness, uh, and so it's important that we continue to do what we're doing tonight, that we study God's word, that we seek out what God has to say, and, uh, and then we go forward in faith and proclaim the good news because the Bible makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians 4 that the, the people are blind to the gospel, right? Uh, Satan has blinded the minds of those that don't believe. I was blind once. I can remember trying to look through the... I li- literally, my aunt gave me a Bible one time and, and, and had the plan of salvation in it. I had already memorized John 3.16, but I was literally blind to what it said. I read it. I read the verses. I read Romans Road. But I wasn't saved. I just didn't get it yet. And, uh, and so uh, the Holy Spirit of God is the one who convicts us of sin and teaches us our need. And then, of course, eventually, by God's grace, I had the opportunity to get saved. And it was the book of Revelation that God used to, to show me my need for Jesus Christ. And so I've shared that testimony many times. I think it was last week was my uh, 30th birthday. So praise God, I was 30 years old in Christ. I mentioned that last week, March 25th, 1987. So actually, having said that, Eddie Ziss was supposed to be here on the 25th. So last week, I believe, was the week Eddie was supposed to be here and uh, give a presentation. So you missed that, but you got the video, and we'll get a chance to meet up with Eddie again in the future. All right, are there any other comments or questions that have come in before I jump into to this week's discussion? So uh, I thought I'd just, uh, if you turn your attention to the book of uh, uh, Psalms, Psalms chapter 14, uh, if you got your Bible, I'll give you time to turn there. This morning I woke up and, and uh, you know, it's April 1st, and uh, I already mentioned that I was already fooled. Uh, and so I just thought, you know what, I'm going to, before I even thought about this subject for tonight, um, I was actually going in a different direction, and then I thought, you know, this would be a good topic for Bible study tonight. So I went ahead and, and, um, and I ended up um, looking up the first mention. Now, on Wednesday night, um, <clears throat> Mark, Mark Lockwood has been going through uh, prince, or principles of Bible study, uh, how we study the Bible. Just there's basic principles. And so one of the things, uh, one of the first principle of Bible study 
Well, what is the first principle of Bible study? If you're from HBF, everyone should know this right now. You should be Amy Hedges. If you're watching me, you should look at Elizabeth and tell her. Ron Casson in the sound booth. What is the first principle of Bible study? Put him on the spot. Context, right? Context is always the first principle of Bible study. But that's not what I'm going to remind you of tonight. I just wanted to say that because everyone should know that. Context is huge when studying the Bible. But another principle that we have is, is it's, called, it's called first mention. And the Bible is a self-defining book. So if you ever study the Bible, you'll find that it's like, um, you, you really, it's amazing how God has put, that's how we know it's his mind. That's, we have a faith-based view of scripture. And what that really means is, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not just that we hope that it's true. It's actually evidence. You know, Hebrews tells us faith is the evidence of things not seen. Um, and so we have evidence that things not seen based on what God has preserved in his word. And as we study it, we compare scripture with scripture, line upon line. Uh, we don't want to go back and stumble and fall on it like the Pharisees did and trip over it. We want God, we want to embrace what God says. We want to believe what God says. We believe it is literally what it says, but yet God tells us it's rightly divided. That's why we're not going out tonight and killing a lamb to cover our sin because we know that Jesus has already come and he is the lamb of God. Well, where do we get that information? From some outside source? No, it's all contained in the word of God. So the Bible actually defines itself. It's amazing. And one of the, one of the simple principles that you can always use when you're running down a precept is, is just find the first mention of a word or a phrase or even a concept and then you can run that all the way through the Bible and let and see what God does with it. And another thing that I like to add to that is also the last mention. And so first and last mention. And really when you study the first and the last mention and everything in between, your Bible will explode with all kinds of things and that'll just it'll blow your mind. I've literally been studying my Bible before and I've come across the nugget of, of truth I've never seen. And I'll, I'll get up and run down the hallway going, I can't believe that. I cannot believe that's in there. That is amazing what is in the Bible. And if you don't have that kind of relationship with God's word, man, you are, you are missing out. Right? If you think it's just, you know, I've talked to a lot of people. They're like, oh, the Bible's just a bunch of stories put together by a bunch of God, you know, and they all kinds of whatever. I used to say that stupid stuff too. Most of the people who tell me that have never, ever read a Bible from cover to cover. I'd never read one. But I'd be quick to tell you at one time in my life, well, it's just a bunch of stories a bunch of guys made up and put in a book. Well, typically people that say that, <laughs> they haven't read the Bible. I mean, come on, man. You read this thing and it's like, whoa, how did in the world, how in the world, you know, or the guy that goes to college and his science teacher talks to him out of creation, you know, and then he comes back and tells you, well, you just don't understand, right? Because he's the new Gnostic. He knows more information than you do. And you're just a dumb preacher. You don't get it. Okay, whatever. You can have whatever. I'm not, I don't believe it, but you can have your creation story. Uh, but what about Daniel, man? How, how in the world did Daniel lay out the, the, the Gentile kingdoms uh, for the next 2,000 plus years? For, you know, I, you tell me, you know, it's done. And so this book is, it's just, I could go on. The cool thing is I don't have to. I don't have to defend this book. I don't have to do nothing. It is what it is. I just preach it, and it does what it does because it is God's word. It is powerful. And when coupled with the Spirit of God, man, God's Word and His Spirit, they will bring a sinner to a place of complete contrition, a brokenness, and new life will spring forth in the heart. It's amazing. I, I'm still fired up about what happened to me 30 years ago. That's what happened to me. I went from a naysayer to a yaysayer. Man, now I'm like, yes, Lord, yes. And uh, so I'm sitting here on the Internet in the middle of a COVID virus talking about the Bible tonight because at one time I was a fool. I was a fool. 
And so I want to talk to you about that tonight. I went and looked up the first mention of the word fool. And uh, it is not in Psalm chapter 14. I did tell you to go there. But it is in 1 Samuel chapter 26 and verse 21. And I'm just going to read this passage. And you can obviously look that up too. Keep your finger in Psalm uh, 14. But in Psalm chapter, or 1 Samuel 26 and verse 21, the Bible says, Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return my son, uh, return my son David. For I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. Now, again, context, as, as Ron was shouting out earlier, is so important. The, the context of this passage is in 1 Samuel chapter 26 is, is uh, King Saul. He's literally a type of Antichrist um, in the Old Testament. Uh, they come out of a time of judges, sort of similar to a time like this where... Every man does that which is right in their own eyes, right? So, um, you know, that's basically the mindset of most of Americans and most of the world eventually probably until the Antichrist, like Saul, steps up. They want a king, but he's not God's king. Uh, but God says, that's okay. Uh, let them have what they want. You know, you got to be careful sometimes of what you pray for. God might give it to you. There used to be that song, uh, oh, who was that guy out of t- uh, Oklahoma that used to sing, uh, the country singer? Garth Brooks. I thank God for unanswered prayers. He talks about how he's so glad God didn't answer the prayers that he had for this young girl in high school. And, and uh, I tell you what, sometimes you need to thank God he doesn't answer your prayer. Uh, and other times, man, there, there's some things that could go on that, uh, that are not so good. Israel got a king they really didn't, really didn't like. And God told them up front, this guy's going to be bad. He's going to put your sons under bondage. He's, they're going to serve him, and he's going to run them ragged. And, uh, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, this king, Saul, had a sweet relationship with David. David never did, an, did anything wrong to him at all. His whole life, all he did was honor Saul. As a matter of fact, uh, Saul and uh, David, uh, his son Jonathan, were best friends. Saul's son Jonathan was David's best buddy. And so these two were, were thick as thieves. They were incredibly tight. And, uh, and it was just Saul. Saul was just like a demon-possessed maniac. And, um, and so we see the first mention of the word fool is in relation to this guy, Saul, uh, who ends up, you know, committing suicide. Well, it's, I don't want to get into another Bible question. Did he commit suicide or did his armor bearer kill him? But in essence, yes, he gives the order and, uh, and, uh, and he is done for because he, well, he, he's a mess. He's not walking in the spirit. Uh, and, and so he's called a fool. And he, he tells David that, that his life was precious, so he's going to let him go. I've been a fool. I've been exceedingly, I've erred exceedingly. That was actually a true statement. He was a fool, and he did err exceedingly. The only problem with Saul was he never repented. He never had a change of heart or mind. He never really fully, he was not sincere at heart. Uh, he just wasn't. And, of course, um, he ended up reaping what he sowed. So, man, I hope nobody listening to me tonight is that kind of fool. A fool that will be confronted with David. David's a type of Ron, who's David a type of? Type of Christ, right? That's been the sound booth, man. He's a type of Christ. I need some interaction for Bible study. So he's a type of Christ. Isn't that right? That's right, Rory Blowers. If you're here, you're going to get interaction. Did my son leave the building? He's watching the youth, so he says. Are you watching the youth, Sam? Text us if you are. All right, so uh, at any rate, so, Sam, so David's a type of Christ, and, and Saul is, I mean, Saul is chasing him down to kill him. Boy, is that not a picture of Jesus at his first coming. Uh, and talk about a mistake. You know, Israel 
slays their own Messiah. And if you're a Jew watching me tonight, that's going to sit wrong with you. But that is absolutely the biblical truth. I'm glad I live in a country where you can't slay me. But the reality is, well, you probably could if you found me. But the point is simply this. Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ was God. He came to his own. I mean, he came to his, his own. And, man, the leadership were like, nah. And, of course, they turned him to the Romans. The Romans do what they do. And uh, Jesus is dead. And at that time, you know, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, the, the devil thought, man, I have, I, have, I have Jesus right where I want him. I mean, he's dead. I have stopped his influence among Adam's race. And boy, the, you know who was the fool? Exactly. The fool was Satan. Satan got, Satan got out hoodwinked by Jesus. And actually what he did is he unleashed the power of life by slaying Jesus. Jesus had it set up since the, the garden, the very first interaction he has with man after sin, that there's going to be a sacrifice for sin that's going to cover the sin of man. And Satan was privy to it, and he still didn't see what was coming because I tell you what, you cannot defeat God. You just can't get around God. And so tonight I want to talk, it's April Fool's Day. And the fool has said in their heart, let's, let's see what it says. In the book of Psalms, chapter 14, Psalm chapter 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is a God. No, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Let's, and then, then it goes on to say, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that do with good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there was any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become as filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Not uno, right? There's not one person. Now, of course, Paul ends up quoting that later in the book of Romans to, to point out the depravity of man. And, and, and not that man is so depraved he can't be saved, but that every man is touched and defiled by sin, therefore, Jesus Christ uh, is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And all men that are saved are saved through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. That's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So the principle of first mention uh, tells us that, that Saul is a type of Antichrist, you know, admitting that he was, it was foolish for him to seek to kill David. Though Satan, right, uh, pursued Jesus and actually thought that he had won by slaying him only to unleash the power of the resurrection so that people like me someday, March 25th of 1987, could bow down and ask Jesus into my heart, and boom, now I've got the power of the resurrection. So you cannot, I'm sorry to tell you, I'm like Freddy Krueger, you just can't kill me. I remember one time, hey, you're not supposed to laugh that loud. Uh, One time I was preaching at the mission, City Union Mission, and that's what I told them. I'm like, Freddy Krueger, you can kill me, but I'm coming back. There's a truth to that. All saints that are born again, we're coming back. That's, you can't really kill a Christian. Um, Sad that I've just been teaching church history in our, in our Bible Institute. We have a four-year Bible Institute, four classes a week for four years. It's, It's an intense study, and it's for serious students of the Bible, people who want to do more than know the Bible. They want to they want to live the Bible. They want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ to the fullest. We, uh, we have a lot of prerequisites prior to that. But these folks are serious about studying their Bible. And one of the things we're studying right now is church history. And when you look at church history, some of the most prosperous times of the church were really from that, that period of the Reformation. At least that's when we can record it because there was a Gutenberg press and, and uh, there was a limited uh, bit of freedom that was starting to be established up until about the 1900s. I mean, that includes our Revolutionary War up till about 1900 1901 I believe they came out with the uh, it was the uh, first uh, perversion of the English Bible but at any rate the um, the 
1881? Yeah, people get persnickety when that church age ends. Oh, that's right. That was the uh, ASV, right? So ESV versus ASV. But uh, at any rate, Ron and I are having our own Bible study on this side. I apologize. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, praise the Lord. So, uh, so that church period where we think about, we kind of look at it romantically. I've been teaching it in HBI, and we should, because the whole world really got the gospel. Before the Internet, before jetliners, before modern uh, you know, technology, uh, committed believers that loved this book, that, that were really serious, serious unto the death, we're able to take it all around the world. And you know what? One of the things you find out in places, especially like England and all throughout Europe, and there were others as well, other locations around the world, but in those places, the blood that was shed by Bible believers is, is enormous. I mean, there's a lot of martyrdom, lots of Bible believers being slain for believing this book. And uh, it's an amazing thing. But the thing about that is they're all going to resurrect. I mean, one of those folks that went to the stake and, and, and bled out and burned that isn't going to come back at the second coming of Christ. I mean, it's, it's, it's unstoppable. When Satan destroyed, he thought he destroyed Jesus, well, he, he just unleashed the power of the resurrection. And, uh, and not only did Jesus resurrect, but all of us that are born again, we resurrect as well. And so it's an incredible thing. You are a fool if you think that you can outwit God. Just as foolish as it was for Saul to think that he could outwit David. Uh, because David was a type of Christ, and, and you cannot outwit God. You know, Proverbs says in, 20, in Proverbs 21, you might want to, if you want to look this up, you can put a finger there in Psalms and just flip uh, Proverbs, or oh, I'm sorry, uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Keep going to the back of Psalms. Uh, and then after that, the next book is Proverbs. It's written by David's son, Solomon. Well, not all of it, but the, the bulk of it is. And um, you can go to, to Psalm, uh, Proverbs chapter 21 and uh, in Proverbs 21, it says in verse 30, uh, check out this verse with me. Proverbs 21 and verse 30 says, There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. You're a fool if you think you're going to outwit God. You're an absolute fool. You know, the joke is on you. Uh, if you think that you're going to outwit God, you know, Judas thought he could outwit Jesus, and of course he couldn't outwit Jesus, and that's why he, commit, he killed himself, because he realized the jig was up. Uh, I don't believe for one minute that he was overwhelmed with sorrow. I think he, he was overwhelmed with sorrow, is because he realized, oops, I made a mistake. Uh, his name is the son of perdition. Satan in, inhabited him, so that's another Bible study. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 19, the Apostle Paul writing to this, this group of Corinthians, and we could talk about Corinth. Corinth is in modern-day Greece. Uh, it, in, the, in the Bible, it's, in a region, it's a region called Achaia. And you know what's wild is we could be transmitting to Achaia right now. It's amazing how technology is blasted. You could be living in the same neighborhood as the Apostle Paul's epistles uh, where he was writing them to and from and traveling about. That'd be amazing. Uh, but he said to the church at Corinth, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he hath taken the wise in their own craftiness. <laughs> so, oh man, you want to be careful messing around. Uh, uh, you can be a fool in a hurry when we try to outwit God. Years ago, I used to counsel, I still counsel people, but this is a story from many, many years ago. I was counseling a young man, and, and, uh, and he thought he was being tricky and going around the system. You know, rebellion's bound in the heart of a child. He was a young 
in his early 20s, late teens, I think. He'd already been to prison for, this guy was sharp. He had actually, this is before the internet, he was using a, a dial-up modem to hack into a bank and kite money out, and then he was going off and gambling with it. And he wasn't even like 17 yet. He was like 16 years old. He's a sharp young man. So if you're out there, you know who you are. It's good to see, I hope you're doing well, because he's in the free world now. Uh, <clears throat> and he'll know this story's true. But anyway, he was, uh, he was, uh, uh, this young man, man, he was just being a young man, and uh, and he was under pretty tight uh, authority, accountability. And so he did everything that he knew he was supposed to do, but then on the side, he would always do things he wasn't supposed to do. And that was kind of his natural man, his nature. And and uh, you know what I, I likened it to when I would counseling? <clears throat> he would even learn the Bible scriptures that we had, and then, then he would want to argue with me about the Bible. And finally, one day, I just told this young man, I said, you know, uh, you're a sharp young man. I mean, he was a young man that can can do that kind of damage to a bank, and uh, he's he's they're, they're fortunate they caught him, right? I mean, he could he could be you know the story of some movie somewhere. Well, he's not a terrorist. So the, the the reality is that that you know what I told this young man. You are there is no you can't work against God. You know, John Cougar Mellencamp. You, you, you can fight authority, but authority is always going to win, right? And so it's like though the Bible is like a sword. It's a sharp. Uh, Hebrews 4 says in verse 12, it's a sharp two-edged sword, right? It, it divides asunder the soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a sharp sword. It, it can go places that, that, like this is metal. This metal can't go. I mean, this is sharp. It, it cuts into the soul and the spirit. And when, you, when, you, when you're on the wrong side of God's word, when you don't have a submissive attitude, when you're, you're fooling around with God, you're just jacking around with God, and you're just goofing off with God, and you're just playing the game with God. That's what I told this young man. It's like you're grabbing a sword from the wrong side. You know, the Bible The Bible's meant to be used. God wants us to use it. He wants us to, to, to hold tight, hold fast, it says in Titus, to this faithful word as we've been taught. Man, we need to hold it. We need to clutch it. We need to put it in our heart. But one thing you don't do with this book is monkey around with it. You don't, you don't, you don't monkey around with God's word. Jesus Christ, by the way, his name in John 1, is he is the Word. His name is the Word. In the beginning was the capital W, Word. In Revelation 19, he has a name as Word, capital W. His name is the Word. I mean, he, you don't mess around with Jesus. He comes back with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And so his Word is like a sword. And so when you mess around with it, when you grab it from the wrong side, you're going to get cut up. And that's what happened to that young man because he thought he was fooling around with I guess it was, I thought he, I, he probably thought he was messing with me. Eventually, we did have a sit down. I said, hey, friend, um, you can do what you want to do. It's a free country, man. Just tell me. If you want to go off to the world, go live in the world. You can do that. I'm not, your, I'm not the pope. I don't control your life. I'm just here to help you, man. This is what the Bible says. This is what I would ask you to do. But if you're just bound in your heart not to follow God, you don't have to. But don't sit around here and monkey with the Bible. Don't, don't try to use this book against god's people because you will end up cutting yourself you'll come because i tell you what we got a handle on it we got a handle on the word of god you don't want to you don't want to grab the word from the wrong end and a lot of times people do that they're fools they're fools when they do that i don't know this is not in my notes so i'm just kind of talking off the cuff tonight i hope everybody's being edified so so i don't want you to be a fool on april fool's day i'm just giving some 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 wisdom here uh because i used to be a fool but i still had enough sense to know you know there's something about that book you know, it's not a cunningly devised fable, uh, and, and, you know, we can say foolish things about it, but until you've read it from cover to cover, 
you really don't know what you're talking about. And so start there. Start there. Read it from cover to cover. I had a friend of mine, true story. Actually, I discipled this guy. We never got through all the lessons. But I, I discipled a good, up to like lesson 15 of our discipleship one. And he was that bright. He read the whole Bible, man. He read the whole Bible. He got saved. Computer programmer, smart guy. You read this Bible, man, it'll, it'll change you. It's not about, uh, it's amazing what God does. It'll give you questions you can't answer, and it'll give you answers that you can't question. And so you just need to get in it. All right, so, so uh, I, I have myself on a timer. I'm going to, I totally am not, I'm going to only give you a portion tonight. We're going to do it with a portion of what I wanted to say. So, because uh, I'm not really preaching so much as just talking to you. But, um, you know, in a time like this, it is great to have hope. You know, you, we need hope. And, uh, and so um, today, though, not everybody has hope. And, and sometimes we have hope in the wrong things. And so, uh, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to his disciple Timothy, and I think this will be on the screen in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. And this is what he said. He said, oh, Timothy, and that, and that emphasis on the oh, I mean, he's, he's like into this. Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. Let me just mention, so we can talk a lot about a lot of stuff, and I've, I've kind of done that uh, even already, but the reality is if we really want to get anything accomplished, we need to get in the Word of God. So what I'd like to do in the time we have remaining is just talk to you a little bit about what a fool is from the Bible, not what everybody thinks a fool is, not what I think a fool is. What does the Bible say uh, about that? You see, Jesus, Paul, and Peter, they all understood, you know, God had taught his disciples some things, and um, you know what, there's a lot of opposition out there, and it's okay. Not everybody's going to receive um, the gospel. Not everybody's going to receive the word as it is in truth, the very words of God, 1 Thessalonians 2.4. But you know what, for those of us that do, it's really important that we don't get caught up in side discussions and side arguments and, and, and endless, you know, discussions on genealogy and and science falsely so-called, and all this other stuff. But really the thing that we need to, to really involve ourselves in is actually the, the, the meditation, the, the prayer, the study of God's Word. And that's what we need to be about, especially during a time like this. Uh, there's a lot of other side discussions we could have about world government and how is this going to affect that and and those are, some of those are very important discussions. Uh, but I submit to you this evening that, that many who would claim to be, you know, atheist or atheistic, they don't believe in anything, even the ones that are well-reasoned, people that, that maybe even have really good arguments and maybe even good thought processes are strong intellectually. They've got strong intellectual arguments. Let me put it that way. They're only one decision away from having a life-changing experience with the God of the universe. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is the Word of God. They're only one decision away. You know, I don't know how many of you know who uh, Charles Spurgeon was. Charles Spurgeon was a brilliant man for his time, regardless of the fact that he was a brilliant preacher. But it wasn't, it wasn't brilliant men that reached Charles Spurgeon. Though his parents were really bright, and they educated him very well, and so on and so forth. But it was a country preacher that rocked his world. 
because it wasn't the eloquence of speech. It was the power that came, that came from the word of God through the spirit of God to that man who God obviously used, and he was in his own right a brilliant person. But in essence, it was God that did the work. We can never forget that. We can never forget that. So tonight, let's talk about the professing fool, and then I'll probably have to bookmark it there, and uh, I'll come back next week. I'll probably turn this into a little little teaching series because I know I'm going to be out of time here directly. So let me just get into this couple of verses, and then we'll get out of here for tonight. I'll come back next week. Maybe this will generate a little bit of energy, and we can um, we can go from here. I actually got a, I got a plan uh, for how I want to progress the next several weeks on Wednesday night, but I'm going to run out this. Uh, topic and then I'm going to I'm going to I got some other things coming so stay tuned things that we can transition back to the in-house uh, operation so to speak once uh, that comes if necessary but th- tonight if you're taking notes the first thing we want to talk about the professing fool that's what you see in in Psalms chapter 14 verses 1 and 2 the fool has said in his heart there is no god so if you're listening tonight and you are saying that in your heart you know then you know Brian's not really talking to you. God has already pinned you down because this book's way ahead of you. God knows where your heart is. I don't. You could be sitting in this room. There's only a handful of people, but uh, God forbid any of you would be there. But God, you know, I don't know what's in anyone's heart, but God does. As a matter of fact, he's the only one that actually does know what's in the heart. And so when the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, that, that happens in a heart long before it ever comes out the lips. And God already knows it. Now, I do want to tell you this, though. Hold on to that before you start professing your foolishness that there is no God. You need to keep it in your heart because that's really where the battleground is. That's where the battleground really occurs is in the heart. And there's a principle in the Bible uh, that we can find Uh, The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's in Luke chapter 6. We're not going to turn there, but it's it's a biblical principle. Luke 6, 45. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What that means is what you already know, is that people say out their mouth what's in their heart. If you spend enough time in conversation with anybody, they're going to speak about oftentimes the things that are most important. It's usually themselves. Maybe their job, maybe their kids, maybe their whatever. If, if it's a lady, it's usually going to be their children. If it's a man, it's usually going to be his job. You know, whatever. And uh, but people speak about what's in their heart, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, nothing that resonates from the mouth that does not first begin in the heart. You know, we just don't utter things that we haven't already internally processed to some degree. It comes from the heart. And so, so we need to remember that, especially if you're not reading off a set of notes, right? I mean, you're literally, you're, you're, you're speaking, as we like to say, from the heart. And we all know that. When someone speaks from the heart, isn't there just kind of a connection, typically? You know when someone's speaking from the heart versus they're reading a script and they're, that may or may not be that person. But when someone connects to you from the heart, it's not just what they're saying. You know, you know, man, that's coming out of their heart. We even use it. You don't even have to be a Christian to know that. Everyone knows that. That's what they, they look for, uh, you know, oftentimes in public 
speaking and politics and stuff like that, someone, as they say, who can speak from the heart. Well, why? Because they know it moves people. But uh, we got to really, let's take a step back and, and realize what does God say about the heart? Because the Bible says the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So long before anyone else knows it, nobody knows it, that's in your heart. And I do know people, this, this has happened recently in, in uh, pop Christianity, as I like to call it. You know, you got the big praise band, you got all the lights going, you got all the cool sounds and hey, let's, let's face it, music is the devil's ministry. And that's what he was doing before he fell. Was, uh, he was exalting God. He was supposed to be. But something went wrong in his heart. <laughs> and, so, and so all of a sudden you got these musicians coming out saying, oh, by the way, I never have believed that. You know, you got this guy, I, I kissed dating goodbye, you know. And so he wrote a book that was real popular. And now he's like, oh, I take all that back. I'm a homosexual. Well, no, you're not. You're a pervert. That's why you're having homosexual relationships. You know, you need to repent of sin in general. So, you know, this stuff just makes me irritated. But that's another discussion. So the point is simply this. It's just, it's just that all this stuff happens in the heart long before you actually put it out the mouth. And our real issues with God, whether we're saved or lost, is my issues with God, they start in the heart. I can at least admit that. I hope you can too because that's the truth. It's not because you're mad at your daddy. It's not because somebody did you. I, yeah, all those things do happen. But at the end of the day, when we end up getting an attitude toward God, it starts in our heart. It's our problem. So before there was a, a Madeline Murray O'Hara, right, successfully winning court cases to ban prayer in school, there was a thought, right, a thought that resonated in the heart that, that one does not need God. Long before that was publicized. In, in Psalms chapter 10, we're in Psalms. Just turn back a couple chapters. Psalm chapter 10. Check this out in verse 4. I know some of you were like, are you going to have a handout? I was working toward a handout, but I literally ran out of time. But I tell you, I'm going so slow, you can make your own handout. So this will be good. So Psalm chapter 10 and verse 4. The Bible says, the wicked through pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. All right, so, so again, don't get mad at me. That's what God said. That's just what God says. He's, you know, the fool does not start off professing their denial of God. It just doesn't happen that way. It starts in the heart. It starts with an attitude of personal, shall I say, personal omnipotence. You know what that is? That's a big word. Uh, in the text here, it says, I shall not be moved. I got news for all of us. We wouldn't even be moving if it wasn't for God. <laughs> God is the one who sets all things in motion. Uh, if, if For those of you science folks out there, your biggest question is always going to be causality, right? You know that there's a causality issue in any theorem or any theory that you have. And causality is always going to lead you back to God. We are not omnipotent. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And so we get to this point in our, in our lives where we say, I shall not be moved. 
I make my own decisions. I am God. I actually went down that road before I became a Christian uh, through Eastern meditation. You can actually, because that's the whole deal, right? You empty out your mind and you ascend to a higher plane. Well, where are you going? Well, you're going to, to say that, hey, I'm God. I'm in control of my own universe. And I'm in my, in my own, as we like to say, my own reality. That's where that, a lot of that Eastern thought takes you. Well, I tell you what, that's foolish, foolish. It's the actually the 180 degree opposite of what God says. So what God did in my heart is he reversed that curse and then he gave me a word and he said, Brian, you are empty. You are without Christ. You are without God in the world and you are not God and you're not going to ascend up to be a God. You need me because you are a sinner and you will end up dying and being a worm if you don't trust my provision. And so finally I got saved. And guess what? Then he says, now meditate upon my word. Don't empty your mind. Fill it up. Understand that, that I am the one that's omnipotent. I'm the one with power. And uh, I, will, I will, you know what? When we say I will not be moved, what we're saying is I will not be convinced. You are not going to change my mind. I shall never be in adversity. I will not have any problems. Well, you don't have to be alive very long to know something is not right with that equation, right? I don't care who you are in this life. You are going to face some trouble somewhere because we live in a sin-wrecked world. And there's also going to be consequences. Well, there won't be any consequences for me. Oh, you're a fool. You're a fool. You're a fool if you think that you will not be moved, that you will never have problems, and there will never be consequences. Those are laws that God put in place. If you plant corn, you get corn. You plant a seed, that's what comes up. That's what God designed. And so it's important that we understand that God is the one in, in charge, right? You can say, you know, uh, through pride and of his countenance, I will not seek after God, right? God is not in my thoughts. I don't believe in God. I know men like that. And there's probably some women too. I don't know any women like that. But I actually, I can say that I do know men like that, that would sit and just maybe like just berate me and think I'm an idiot stick for believing in a God that you cannot see, an invisible man, blah, blah, blah. The difference is, though, I know him. I mean, whatever, man. We'll see how this works out. You can say I won't be moved, but you are going to be moved. At some point, you will be moved from that position. The time to be moved, though, is now. The time to be moved to a place where you acknowledge who God is, a place where you at least acknowledge that the causality of everything around you had to start with something bigger than your explanation uh, is now. That's, at least you're in the right track. You're going the right direction. At least be intellectually honest so that maybe there's actually, you might even find there's some truth in what the Bible has recorded because I tell you what, today, man, you need to make sure you're moved in the right direction because God is calling you. He's calling you to truth. He wants you to know him in a personal way. You don't want to be a fool. I can't beg you enough to, to, to take into account that the God of the universe has created you. Just look at creation. I mean, what kind of, what kind of mindset right now? We're, we're, we're moving heaven and earth, and, and praise God for it, to, to save people that might be affected by coronavirus. And the very governor who's pounding the table, asking everybody to give him all the supplies he can to save everybody in the, in the health care system, just signed a bill a couple, well, it wasn't even a couple years ago, just within the last several months to say, well, if a baby's outside the womb, we can just let it die with no medical attention. Just ask the mom what she wants to do, infanticide. What? Man, that is, that is weird. I mean, 
even a natural man, that's not natural. A natural man wouldn't do that. There's something wrong with that thinking. There's something wrong in the heart. Something has gone wrong in the heart of men when we deny God and when we deny the things that are just obvious on the face in creation. And so a fool doesn't start off professing their denial, but you know what? Eventually it'll come out their mouth. Uh, Then this happens. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. (laughs) It's under his tongue and his mischief and vanity. Suddenly he feels like he is in authority. Suddenly, he has the power to command the goddamn everything. And he's telling people, he's telling God what to do. Uh, it's a terrible situation. And I, and I said that, by the way, not in cursing, but in actual illustration of the point. I think you guys get the point. Uh, and so, and he, can, and he can choose to damn whatever he, he chooses in the name of God. Let me say it that way. Because, man, he's all-powerful. Now, if you're with me, if you know what I know, if you came where I come from, right, and I know many of us have, uh, whether it was in your home or out of your home, you know, wherever you are, in whatever circles you've been in, you know the power words. And most of the big power words include God's, uh, include God and him and, and throwing around his ability to... to curse things, right, and damn things. Why is that? Because, man, people that do that often think that they are God. They have no concept of who God is. They've already made a decision in their heart who God is, and it's them. I'm probably making somebody mad right now. That would be a good thing. So if you're somebody, like, listening, and you're like, amen, amen, that's because you probably already know what God says. But if you're, like, watching this, and you're like, man, I would like to go to that church right now and get a hold of you. Man, you're the guy I'm looking for. Because I used to be you. You need to be born again. God is calling you. He's trying to do a work in your heart. I'm just helping you understand this thing. That God loves you. And in spite of your foolishness, man, God died on the cross for you. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, he died for us. Man, I can't, I can't believe how good God is. He is so good. He loves us so much. Even if our mouth is full of cursing, he still died for us. You know, isn't it interesting that when Peter... Right, the, the, the main guy that's going to lead the church in Jerusalem, when he wanted to distance himself from Jesus Christ. Jesus is getting beat. He's getting maligned. He's getting slapped in the face. He's getting crowns of thorns put on him. He's getting judged unrighteously by people that have deceit under their tongue. All the things that we're talking about. What's Peter do? To get away from all the pressure, he starts, he starts cursing. I don't know it, man. And he starts dropping the, the F-bomb or whatever he wanted, whatever you know, Galilean terminologies he needed to drop to let everybody know I don't speak his language. And, of course, we know he was deeply convicted in his heart. Why? Because he knew the jig was up. He had denied Jesus. And yet God still loved him. Not only did he love him, he he called him back into ministry, (laughs) had supper with him and put him back in charge. And when 50 days later, he's preaching one of the best messages that you could ever imagine, most powerful sermons in the Bible. Now, that's the kind of power we're talking about. God has power, and he's merciful, but don't test him. Today's the day of salvation. The professing fool cannot help but act out against God. They just can't help it. Uh, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The great enlightenment of, uh, of uh, Nishi is in uh, the, the early uh, 1800s gave way to the conclusion that God is dead. 
It, it would not be long before the concept of the survival of the fittest found the proving ground in the laboratory of men influenced by Marx and Lenin and and then they worked for the master race. You remember how that went in the last century? Not very well. Treating people like lab rats. Remember Joseph Mengele? That's where man's wisdom takes you. Humanism. Adolf Hitler, Joseph Mengele. Man, those guys were, they, they were void of conscience. They believed fully in the heart that there was no God. They believed they were gods. The true scholarly atheist understands this point has been, and, has, and it's been proven over and over and cites numerous unjust wars and atrocities. So they're like, Brian, you can't say that about Hitler because you don't know. You're obviously ignorant of all the wars that were started by Christians. Well, first of all, I would like to just defend Bible-believing Christianity versus what is called Christianity throughout the last 2,000 years. Actually... If you check into it, most people who held to a literal view of the Bible, as do I, were the ones being persecuted by those that called themselves, quote, Christians, but not in all cases. Uh, and, and there are times when Christians have gotten out of hand. But for the most part, um, most Christians that have believed the Bible literally throughout the years are peace-loving. There's definitely the, the Roman Empire, which became the Holy Roman Empire, that is certainly... Uh, done a lot to instigate wars and be a part of wars and things throughout the last couple thousand years. We're not going to deny that. But you know what? At the end of the day, uh, who's to say? That ple- does that, did that please God? Is that God's church? You'll never know unless you read this book. You'll never know. You'll just use that as an excuse. And so, and so it's important that we understand that. And so, um, and so we understand that... that uh, that I would actually agree with you. There are people that have done bad things in the name of Christ, those who have murdered. Those who murdered Jesus, by the way, murdered him in the name of God. They worship Jehovah. Having said that, you can take all the wicked and perverse crusades of the Dark Ages, which are exceedingly cruel and wicked, and they'll not touch the mass murder that's occurred even in Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot and Mao in the, in the 20th century alone. So before we get too far afoot, we've got to understand humanism is one of the most bloodiest religions that the world has ever seen. And it's been worked out big time in the last century. Uh, and so, and you can go visit a place, some of these places, and I tell you what, it's being worked out of history because they don't want you to know what happened. They don't want you to know that Mal killed 60, I think it was 60 million, if I remember right. Jeff, do you have a number on that? Was it 60 million in China? I don't know. You can look it up. How many people were, mur- were murdered in the name of communism, just in China in the 1900s. And uh, 84 million. So let's just say conservatively, 60 million. And uh, you can look that up yourself. Now that's a, that's a philosophy that says, hey, we don't need God. God is the opiate of the people. Let's get rid of God altogether and let's put on a humanistic solution that's communal and uh, let's all march together in the, uh, to the same drum, and then 60 million people of us who don't agree with us will be killed. Because after all, it's survival of the fittest. And so this is what I, I want to... I want to bring this to a conclusion. So here's what we're going to talk about now, is the reality that the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking on hope. The clock is ticking on hope. Today, you know, I could summon Stephen Hawking 
And Stephen Hawking could come from, I, I don't know where he's coming from. So uh, I presume if he held to his theory, and I don't know what's in his heart. I don't know what it's in anyone's heart. Presumably, though, what he talked about was that there was no God. Then he would be, according to the Bible, in a place called hell, a great, great mind, great uh, scientist, taking nothing away from him. But, you know, he would tell me, he would even beg me right now to let me know, to let you know that what the Bible says is true. There's actually an account of that very thing in the book of Luke. A religious man, a man of the nation of Israel, died, and he went to a place called hell, a place called hell in Luke 16. And he's like, man, if I could, could you send somebody, could you send somebody back to share with my brothers and my family the truth of the Bible? And uh, the retort was, hey, uh, no. They have Moses. This is before the New Testament. They had Moses and the prophets. They had the Old Testament. They need to. Hear, if you won't hear that, you're not going to hear the one right is risen from the dead. And there's a there's a real parallel there that God is establishing that He is equal to His word is equal to Him. His word and His personage are this. I mean, His word is true. What He says, He does, and what He does, He says, and you can't disconnect it. God is true. And so. There is, there is there's not a famous atheist. Think about this. There's not a famous atheist today burning in hell that would not verify that uh, and clarify that there is one God and he is the man Christ Jesus. There's not one, according to what the Bible says. Now, you could say, well, Brian, I don't believe that. You don't have to believe it, but that's what the Bible says. So as hard uh, as hardworking as the stem cell research crowd is, and man, I am glad because uh, we are getting a lot of medical advantages from stem cell research, right? And so Stowers Institute, I don't know, as long as you're not doing anything funky and cloning humans and stuff like that, I don't want to get into that. That'd be wrong. But just for some of the medical things, praise God for it. It's amazing. Um, just don't go too far with it. Uh, there's some cool stuff. You know, they got particle colliders now and all of that kind of stuff. Amazing technology. A lot of people that, that are involved in a lot of those things, some of those folks don't believe in God. But you know what? Even in that, if you're putting, if you're working on stem cells and DNA type of level research, microbiology, you know there's something causing all this. The more they study through the electron microscope, you cannot deny that there is something about this design. It's designed. It's intelligent. You, you know that's the you know that's the case. You're over here colliding particles in some particle collider. You know, man, when we, we get into this. This quantum physics, something just, we thought we had it all figured out. We don't even know what we're doing. We better shut this thing down before we blow something up we shouldn't. You know what I mean? There's just a lot of stuff going on. Why? Because, well, guess what? Man isn't God. God gives us a certain understanding. We're also not monkeys and we're not animals. God has created us in his image. And that was lost, but we're still in his likeness. And the express image of God is Christ Jesus. When you get saved, when you ask Christ into your heart, you literally become whole. You are what God intended you to be because his spirit resides within you. Some of the brightest minds started as atheists. I just want to encourage you in this. And they ended up being born again. Not just a little born again, they become apologists for the very things. They could much more eloquently, um, you know, describe all these theories and all the things that I'm, I am ignorant of a lot of those things. I know the Bible. I know Jesus. That's all I know. But these guys, they do understand science, and they do understand religion, and they understand politics. And some of these guys, you go back and study them yourself, men that you would consider your equals, perhaps, intellectually, because you're so smart. 
that one, I'll give you some names, and you can research these on your own. A guy named uh, English journalist Albert Henry Ross. He was, he's uh, long gone. He died in 1950. But look up that guy's pedigree. Look up uh, his animus toward the God of the Bible, and look at his conversion, and then his subsequent defense of this Bible that I hold in front of me. Another guy that isn't that didn't die that long ago, his name is Sir Lionel Alfred Lucky, one of the most um, successful attorneys ever. He died in 1997. He's another one who had an antagonistic opinion in his heart toward God, and then God persuaded him through the word of God that, man, this, this God is true. And the next thing you know, he ends up becoming a, a, a proponent, a, an advocate, a defender, we should say, of the faith. But you don't have to go that far back. There's guys still living like that. Josh McDowell. He's an incredible. Most of us know Josh McDowell as a well. He's a Christian. Uh, he, he wrote. He did the Jesus film, I think it was, and uh, he he's done a lot of things for. He's not even noted as an atheist, but you know what? He started in the atheist position, antagonistic to God. And then, of course, everyone I think pretty much knows, even in pop culture, um, the investigative reporter in Chicago. Uh, Lee Strobel, who once again, he's another one who is now an advocate, a proponent of the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God and, and, and who Jesus Christ is and what the Bible says about him. And so I'm just saying, these guys with electron microscopes cannot deny the intentionality of design. They just cannot do it. They cannot, it cannot happen mathematically. God has to be a part of this. And, and God, he, God puts himself in the equation. And he does that so you might know him. And whether it's an electron microscope or, and I have seen, there's a, there's a famous scientist, uh, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but I saw a video of him and he's in Spain. And he actually had to come to the conclusion that the mathematical design of the universe, based on what he knows from his astronomy uh, and all those calculations, not astrology, astronomy, there, there's no other explanation than a divine design. He doesn't know how it got designed or who did it or what. He wasn't saying, saying that he believed in God, but he was saying there was something smarter than us that put all this. This is not an accident. The, the, the mathematical odds of all of this randomly happening are not possible mathematically because he's a true scientist. And, of course, for that he was blackballed. I forget his name. But, but there are some men out there that, you know what, God has put himself in creation. Rather, it's at the level of the micro uh, in, the, in, a, in an electron microscope or the macro in some incredible Hubble telescope. God has given himself witness in creation. Why? Because God wants all men everywhere to know that he is there and he wants to bring messages from his word to people so that he can, you can know more than that there is a God, but you can actually know God and that God is Christ Jesus. He is God. Intellectual arguments, let me tell you something, they, want, they are not going to win an atheist over they're just not going to win them. Uh, a, a, a guy doing brain surgery. Um, you know what? Uh, if you can do brain surgery all day long and it won't fix a heart problem. If I got a heart valve problem, I need it replaced. It isn't going to do me any good to go to a brain surgeon. The truth of the matter is, if you really want to know if there's a God or not, if you really want to know who Christ is, you've got to go back to the heart. Because the real issue resides in the heart. And the best witness to an atheist that God is true, if you're listening to this and you're an atheist, is the struggle in your own heart. And there's a struggle going on. You need to know him today.
if you're a Christian, if you're maybe a member of HBF, and you know somebody that's antagonistic to Jesus Christ, and they hate God, hey, send this out to them. Let them watch it. Let them ridicule me and all that. That's fine. But I tell you what, they need to consider their heart because God loves them. You know how big God's heart is? The Bible says in John 3.16 that God's heart is so big that, that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, he's not just saying this stuff. It's put up or shut up, right? So Jesus, he puts up, God puts up his son. He literally manifests himself in the flesh, dies on the cross so that, that, that we can have a relationship with him. Why did he do that? To show that he's the smartest guy on the block? Well, he is the smartest guy. There's no one that's going to outwit God. I've already established that. The Bible says no one's going to come up with anything that's going to defeat God. It's just not, you're not going to outwit God. No one will ever outwit God. It's just not possible. But yet when God wants to restore relationship with us, he didn't come down with a big old cranium and say, I'm the smartest being ever. I am the God of the universe. I'm the creator. Although that's evident if you study his mind, if you study his word. But what he does is he gives his heart, man. He gives the thing that he shows that he is a God of love. He's a God of compassion. He's a God that wants to know you in a personal way. And man, if that doesn't move your heart, well, maybe you're that stone that God can't move because God needs your will. He needs your mind, but he needs your emotion too. He needs your heart, your mind, and your... He needs, he needs you to acknowledge that he is God that he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Go study. Go talk to Lee Strobel. Go talk to some of these guys. You won't believe me? Go talk to them. They're going to point you right back to the Bible. And he rose again. And you better hope that, you better hope, if you don't believe in Jesus, you better hope you're right. Because if you're wrong, you, you got all the marbles in the wrong bag. And you'll be the biggest fool ever. And the joke will be on you. And man, I tell you what, not only do I love you too much not to tell you the truth, but God loves you too much not to tell you the truth. And so it's, it's April Fool's Day. Man, I don't want anyone to be a joke. And I certainly don't want you to take the gospel and take light of it. God loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you, and he wants to know you in a personal way. If you want to know more about that in a very personal way, maybe you're watching this and you're thinking, man, I want to know more, Brian. Give me some more biblical evidence. Well, I can do that. Uh, dial us up. Email us at contact at hbfcast.org. Uh, you can call us, 380-3033. And we'll be able to talk to you in a personal way. And so with that, that's our Bible study tonight. I'm going to come back next week and not talk about just the professing fool. This is going somewhere. We'll talk about the practicing fool. And that'll be hit home a little bit more for some of us here at HBF. So uh, we don't want to be practicing fools either. There's people that profess foolishness, and then there's people who practice it. So let me pause right there. Are there any, anything that we need to address off the comment section? All right. HBF folk, if you're watching, I'm glad that you tuned in tonight. Did we get anybody watching tonight, guys? couple? And uh, glad that you tuned in. I ho hope it encouraged your heart. And uh, we'll come back next week and pick this up. And then um, remember uh, that uh, we love you. Uh, we're so glad that, that you, wa you watched tonight. Please, if you're part of an ABF, remember, 9 o'clock on Sunday, we're still running the ABFs. Some of them are getting even more sophisticated with their technology so they can interact even more. That's going to be awesome. Uh, we know now that this situation is going to be going through the end of April at least. Uh, and so this is kind of our new normal. So make sure that we do some of the things that we need to do. Let's make sure we pray together uh, in, our, in our homes. But it's okay to dial someone up on the phone. Have you ever done that? Just dial someone up and pray with them over the phone. I do that all the time. And that's, that's encouraging. So maybe we need to call someone up in the body and pray with them. Maybe we need to 
Um, maybe you'd like your word. Somebody called and said, hey, can I get a PDF of the gospel, the COVID tract, and send it to someone? I'm like, yes, you can have that. Here it is. You know, find ways to talk to people, to encourage people, and, uh, and connect with people the best you can under these circumstances and make sure that we invest not only in God, but in our families and one another. So uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And after I pray, I will be dismissed.